0: to Isaiah 29, the reading that we had, that's going to be our main text this morning as we continue to look at these series, uh, to not go to church, but to be the church, to understand Who we are, that this is an identity that we possess as Christians joined together and knit together and not just something we come and do. Uh, In particular, I want us to consider uh, the way that Isaiah lays out this message. Uh, Today in our world, it's not too infrequent to have a movie or a television show to reveal the ending first. And then the rest of the episode is all about, now how did we get to that point? And that's what Isaiah does. Isaiah, in a very strange way, starts off by telling you the end of the whole story. Here's the outcome, as in the first eight verses. And then He's going to tell you uh, why that happened. Why did that outcome occur? And then how that's all going to be resolved. So understand we're kind of watching this movie a little bit backward, like we're kind of doing in our society today, getting the answer first, and then we're going to figure out, okay, well, what was the problem? Why is God doing that? Uh, In the first eight verses, you have a prophecy against Jerusalem. You'll notice in your Bibles that Jerusalem is called Ariel. And Ariel just kind of means an, altar. And so what is being pictured here is that God is is telling them you you offer your sacrifices perpetually, you keep offering your religious ceremony day by day doing the various requirements of the law, but they're not doing you any good because judgment is coming against you. Like in verse 3, I will encamp against against you all around and will besiege you at towers and raise up siege works against you. There is a war that is going to come. Jerusalem is going to be surrounded. And God says, I'm the one doing it. I am sending a nation against you and it is going to surround you and we are going to attack you. But then notice what happens. This shocking reversal now happens in verses 5 through 8 where he says, but the multitude of your foreign foes shall be like small dust. And the multitude of the ruthless like passing chaff. And in an instant, suddenly, you'll be visited by the Lord of hosts. Amazing. He says, so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to come in judgment. I'm going to bring a nation against you. I'm going to surround Jerusalem. There's going to be armies all around you. And then he says, but here's what's going to happen with those armies. They're going to be like small dust and they're going to disappear in an instant. So a very strange image that that he's laying out. But what God is doing in this beginning is trying to wake them up. He's saying, I'm going to bring a judgment against you, but I'm not utterly destroying you. I'm going to work something amazing. The Lord is going to visit you. He is going to deliver you so that you will open your eyes and see the glory of God. That you will open your eyes and turn to me and listen to me and follow me. But in an effort to do that, he's going to bring a judgment against them. This most likely is still referring to the events in 2 Kings 19. And As we've gone through Isaiah, we've observed that this is one of the key historical points in this book when Jerusalem is surrounded by the Assyrian army and suddenly an angel of the Lord in the night kills 185,000 Assyrian soldiers sending the Assyrians away. This is likely here Isaiah they are prophesying of this event, saying, Here's how it's all going to unfold. God is angry with you and is judging you and is sending a nation against you. And they're going to surround you, but God is going to intervene and make them like the chaff and make them like small dust. In an instant, in just a flash, suddenly, they are all going to be taken away. So that's the outcome. Now, why is all that happening? Why is God doing this to these people? Why does He have to wake them up and do something amazing like this miraculous event that He prophesies will occur? Listen to verse 9. Astonish yourselves and be astonished. Blind yourselves and be blind. Be drunk, but not with wine. Stagger, but not with strong drink. He, he begins by saying in our language, it'd be something shocking has occurred. Be shocked. Shock yourselves and be shocked. And here's the reason why. You should be shocked because you have blinded yourselves. That's quite a statement. You should be astounded, astonished. Because you have blinded yourselves. And he pictures them in verse 9. Wandering around in the dark. He says you're wandering and staggering as if you were drunk. But you're not drunk. You're blind. You're walking around in the darkness. You ever done that in the middle of the night? No lights on? You're just kind of staggering before the walls. Here's the door over here. That's what he's saying you're doing. Is you're wandering around and you're blind. And the implied question is. Who would want to be in that condition? Why would you want to be blind? Why would you want to remain in darkness? And yet that's where these people are. He says, you've done it to yourselves. You've blinded yourselves. And what an astonishing thing to do. Who would want to do that to themselves? And the answer is every single human being. Remember the words of John chapter 3, verse 19, when here John lays out the judgment of the world. This is the verdict, this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. Who wants to stay in the darkness? A hundred percent, every single human being raises their hand. We do. We apparently enjoy walking in darkness. We apparently enjoy blinding ourselves. And God has come and is trying to move us out of that blindness. It is a darkness and a blindness that we don't even recognize. We don't even understand the difference. And here John says that's why Jesus had to come. Turn on the light bulb and help people recognize. The light has come and yet still... We have the tendency and the desire to remain in the darkness. And so the Lord continues to, re- to respond to this in verse 10. For the Lord has poured out upon you a, deep, a spirit of deep sleep and has closed your eyes. And he tells us what he means by that. He's shut off the prophets. He's covered your heads. He's shut off the seers. He's saying, you want to remain in darkness? I was giving you the light. I was giving you my message. I sent you my word and I sent you my prophets. But you continue to reject them. You will not listen to what my prophets have to say. So why would I send you anymore? more? And so, the end of the prophets. In the end of the sea years, He says, you want to stay in your blindness? You want to continue to stagger in the darkness? Then I'll allow you to do it. But be astonished. Who would want to stay in that condition? Why do you choose to walk in blindness and in darkness? When you could walk in the light, you're choosing your own fate is what God begins with. So He basically ends them by saying, you want to be blind? Then go ahead and be blind. If you want to live your life in darkness, go ahead and do so. Now watch what he means by that. Because of verse 11, he explains what this blindness and what this darkness looks like. Verse 11, and the vision of all this has come to you like the words of a book that is sealed. And when men give it to one who can read saying, read this, he says, I cannot for it is sealed. This is an amazing description that is being given here. I want you to get a picture of what Isaiah is saying. It would be tantamount to me saying, suppose none of you had the Word of God in your hands. And I came up to you and I said, well, here's the Word of God. And you said, oh, but it's closed. I won't read. You didn't open it for me. That's what he's picturing here. Is Isaiah says, I've got the scroll with the Word of God. And the guy who wants to read it says, i sealed, I guess I can't read it. Can't lift a finger to lift the seal. Can't do anything to move the cover. Don't want to be able to read what's inside. It is a picture of total indifference to God's Word. Not interested in trying to see what God has to say. Not interested in learning what He has to say. The next verse compounds it in verse 12. And when they give the book to one who cannot read, saying, read this, He says, I cannot read. No desire to even learn what God's word has to say. I don't want to open it and I don't want to read it. It would be tantamount to me saying, all right, we're going to read Isaiah. And you say, well, that's kind of a tough book. Let's not read that. That's what they're doing. We don't want to read. That's a little difficult. I don't want not interested in that. And so he's picturing the darkness that exists within them. They don't care about the Word of God. They don't care to listen to the Word of God. They're being very lazy and disinterested toward the Word of God. Even though Isaiah is trying to make it simple and just simply give it to them, they don't want to hear it. They're not interested in listening. And so they remain in darkness. They remain blind because they are unwilling to lift a finger to learn the will, the words, and the ways of God. And if that wasn't bad enough, then verse 13 probably throws the salt in the wound. And the Lord said, Because this people draw near with their mouth and honor me with their lips, while their hearts are far from me and their fear of me is a commandment taught by men. Let's stop mid-sentence there. They pretend to care. They say all the right things. Notice it there in verse 13. They draw near with their mouth. They honor me with their lips. So it sounds like they care by their words. They say all the right things. They sound like they're a follower of God. They sound like they care about the ways of God. They'll give you all the right catchphrases. They'll say everything that sounds very religious and right. But he says, you know what? Next line. Their hearts are far from me. They won't lift a finger to learn the Word of God. They won't listen to what God has to say. They're not interested in learning what God has as a message for them. They don't want to know. And so He shows them, you have all the words right. You sound like you're devout. You sound like you have devotion. You have words that seem to indicate that you love the Lord But you won't even pull back the cover and see what God has to say. And you won't dig into the Word of God and find out what God has for a message for you. They refuse to put forward the effort to know the ways of God. They sound like they do. They say everything that sounds like they follow. But they do not give of their time. They do not lift a finger. They do not pay attention to what God has to say. And notice how he says what they are doing at the end of verse 13. Their fear of me is a commandment taught by me. That's a statement. Why do they fear God? Read it carefully there. Why do they fear God? Why do they worship God? Because people say so. The fear of me is the commandment taught by men. They don't care about God themselves. They do not worship God because they passionately pursue Him. They do not follow Him because they want to love Him and learn what He has to say. It's because this is what you're supposed to do because somebody told me to. And he says, I won't have that. Your fear of God is a commandment of men. That's the reason you follow me is because somebody told you to. That's the reason you worship is because it's not from the heart, because this is just a habit. He says he'll have none of it. That's why those first eight verses were there of condemnation against the people. He says, You say all the right things. You pretend to be followers of God, but nobody has the heart to get their head in the book and listen to what God has to say. And he says, Because of that, judgment falls upon you. You might recognize that verse. Jesus had to use it in the New Testament. Over in Matthew chapter 15, as well as in Mark chapter 7, as the Pharisees are condemning Jesus and His disciples because they did not wash their hands in the traditions of the elders, He turns and says to them this very quote, Right did Isaiah prophesy of you, He said. He turns around and says, Just as it happened 700 years ago, it's happening again. All you care about are the commandments of men. You're not passionately seeking the ways of God. It is all about rules instead of loving the Lord your God. I think it is important for us to consider what this looks like because this attitude toward God is what quickly causes us to degenerate from fearing the Lord and worshiping Him with the heart and it just becoming ritual and habit. It's just something you do. Isaiah is putting his finger directly on the heart of the problem. They were worshiping and offering their sacrifices in a great parade, as verse 1 says, year after year, let their feasts run round and round. You keep keeping your feast and you keep worshiping. But you do it because you have to, because somebody told you to. It's not from the passion of wanting to know the ways of God. In fact, when presented with the opportunity to know the ways of God, they say, um,. I'm too busy. Don't want to hear. Scroll is sealed. Can't read. Not interested. Can you put that in movie format? Not interested in knowing the ways of God. They don't want to dig in, they don't want to learn what God has to say. That teaches us, I think, three important things that I want to zero in with you this morning. Number one, do we seek to know God? Or do we just want to receive what everybody else knows about God? Do you and I as individuals truly want to know God? Want to know Him backward and forward? Know everything about Him? Seek Him? Learn about Him so we can develop our love? Or do you just want to know what everybody else knows? What's my minimum amount of knowledge that I need to get into heaven? What's the, what's the SAT on the Day of Judgment? And what's the level? Is 940 okay for me to be able to get in? Is that how we handle God? That is the best way to turn an exciting, enjoyable, fresh relationship with your Lord into one of the most boring experiences I think you could ever have in life. I mean, maybe I'm wrong, but this is boring, guys. If your heart's not engaged to God, this is dreadfully boring. There's way more exciting things we could be doing this morning. If our hearts are not in tune to learning, seeking, deepening a relationship with God. This is boring. That's right. Church is boring. God, I want to put that on a postcard and send it out. You're right. These words, you're right. Church is boring. Love God. Then this will be exciting when you're with your fellow members. Which is it for us? We are called to see the glory of God. We are called upon to learn about Him. Even my purpose here, my job as a teacher, is not merely to impart to you some information. It's not so that you'll have yet another nugget to go on your way That you can stash in the back of your mind That now you've increased your academic level a little bit more So if you just ever do decide to play some version of Trivial Pursuit and Bible version What's that new Bible TV uh, trivia quote? You will do great I thought Jeff Foxworthy's got one of those now Is that all it's about? Academic knowledge? I can find Isaiah faster than you That's all we're doing. The purpose is not merely imparting information. The purpose is to show you the glory of God through His Word so that you'll want to know God for yourself. Purpose is for me to show you the glory of God in Scripture so that you'll want to go seek the glory of God for yourself in the Scriptures. To show you things about the glorious greatness and graciousness of God That will propel you to taste and see that the Lord is good and want to get into the Word of God yourself. To remind you how awesome these words are, how filling these words are, and satisfying these words are. And to propel you to do that. Not to just walk away and go, well, that's good. That's another thing I needed to know today. Number two, not only do we have to ask the question, do we seek to know God... Or are we just taking what others know about God into our hearts? But I want you to see the outcome of not seeking the glory of God. Verse 9, not to be staggering. I think that's why Isaiah uses those words. Be appalled, be astonished, be shocked. We need to recognize that you and I are blinding ourselves. When we are not passionately seeking God through His Word, we are like people staggering in the darkness who do not know the ways of God, pretending to think that we can see just fine. Have you ever done that? I do that sometimes. I don't need to turn on the light. I know exactly where I need to go. Sometimes that works and sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes I nail the furniture. Cool. And I thought oh I can see just fine Just give me a second let my eyes dilate a moment I'll be able to do this just fine And we want to do that in life Oh I got it I don't need to see anymore I think I can see just fine I know the path And we don't recognize the deep darkness That we are in And that's why John's gospel is so powerful That the light had to come into the darkness We are in the darkness We are the ones who cannot see Christ is the only light And if we are not turning to Him and seeking Him, then we remain in darkness and we are missing out then on the best relationship and best life we could possibly have. It's like sitting in a dark room, not realizing that the other end of the room is this great blessing of wealth and food and whatever else you might enjoy having. And you sit down in a room and say food and wealth and toys and all. and you don't even know it's over there because you're sitting in the dark on the couch. You don't even see it. God's like if you just turn on the light and see You'd see the riches of the glory of God And you'd be able to experience all He has to offer But you're sitting in the dark thinking you're fine Do we see what God is trying to say to us That we must see the glory of God And when we see the glory of God It's absolutely life changing And that leads then to number three Isn't it interesting the way God operates? I find it interesting that God does not reveal Himself on the kindergarten level. And you get glimpses of that all the time. God reveals Himself in such a way to see who is going to put forward the effort to come to know Him. He doesn't make it as simple as one plus one is two. Okay, got it. Good. No, God. He doesn't do that. He could have. He could have boiled it down into fourth. Not even fourth grade. First grade gibberish. See God. See God love. God loves you. He sends son. He could have done that. This could have been a pamphlet. We're supposed to exert ourselves to see the riches of His glorious grace. He reveals Himself in such a way to see who is going to seek Him, who is going to dig in, who is going to follow, who wants to learn more, or who is going to stay shallow. One of the best examples of that. Remember the disciples come to say, "Why are you always talking in these strange parables to everybody, Jesus?" I mean, you were telling some strange stories. And if you notice, the most of the time, the great majority of the time, Jesus tells the parable, gives them no answer, walks away. And then he waits to see who's going to come up to him. That's the way God operates. Who is going to dig in to learn him? Who really wants to know God? Or will we look at the book and go, well, it's still closed. Hmm. Or yeah, Isaiah's kind of tough. Let's go back to Luke. That's easier. He wants to see who will dig in Who wants to learn the ways of God And that's what he's telling them here He says you won't seek me You don't want to hear what I have to say You want it simplified But I want people who will come for a deep relationship I want people who will love me And dig in deep And want to build that relationship with me And find those glorious truths And seek the ways of God That's who he's looking for Otherwise, we're in darkness and we don't even recognize that we have darkened our minds and cannot see the right life that we're supposed to live. 14 is verse Really, the 14th verse is just amazing because I would think verse 14 would say, all right, so I'm going to wipe you out. But he says, I, "Well, here's what I'm going to do. Again, I'm going to do wonderful things, wonder upon wonder. That's going to astonish the wise, and then make the wise men perish. Their wisdom will perish. Their discernment will be hidden. They don't have time for it." But Paul quotes that in First Corinthians chapter one, he tells them about their foolish wisdom, he tells them it's false the way that they're going to go. But before He can explain what's about to happen, I think He's speaking prophesying of the cross. A wonder upon wonders is going to happen down the road. Something amazing. I think He's looking to the cross. He says, before I can tell you that, let me tell you the ultimate problem. Verse 15. He says, Ah, you who hide deep from the Lord your counsel, whose deeds are in the dark, and who say... Who sees us? Who knows us? You turn things upside down. Shall the potter be regarded as clay that the thing made should say to its maker, He did not make me. Or the thing formed say of him who formed it, He has no understanding. Here's what he does. He says, the ultimate problem, the reason why you're not getting into the book, why you're unwilling to unlatch the seal, why you don't want to listen, he says, you have wicked hearts. Well, we should know that. I mean, we've got Romans 3.23 memorized by now, don't we? My kids were quoting in the car on the way here. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All right, earlier, there's none righteous, no, not one. We have wicked, wicked hearts, okay? That's the problem. And even worse, we bite into the lie of sin. We buy right into it. Notice what he says there in verse 15. Whose deeds are in the dark, and we say, Ah, no one sees, no one knows. We're getting away with our sins. God doesn't know what's happening. It's okay. Nobody here knows. None of my family knows. God doesn't know. And so I stay in my sins. I stay in my wickedness thinking I'm okay because nobody else has caught me. And the point is you're wanting to live how you want to live. You want to act like your own master, like you're in charge of your life. He's boiling it down to the root core here. The reason we don't seek after the ways of God, the reason we don't dig into the book is because we want to be in charge of our lives. We want to be our own masters. I will live my life how I want to live and who are you to tell me how to live it? And that's what is so amazing. He says, anybody who thinks like that, he says, you've got it upside down. That's what I love, verse 16. You turn things upside down. Who are you... To tell God, He didn't make me. Because that's what you're saying. When you want to live your life how you want to live and do what you want to do, and you don't want to consult God's Word, and you have no interest in the things of God, what you're saying to God is He didn't make you, I rule my life. And he says that's as ridiculous as a clay telling the potter, you didn't make me. It's absurd. And yet that's the very thing we tell God all the time in our sins. You didn't make me. I'm in charge. I'll live how I want to live. I'll do what I want to do. I do not need to consult this book. I have no interest in these things. They do not apply to me. Which leads to his second criticism in verse 16. The thing formed say of him who formed it. He has no understanding. I don't know that anybody in this room would say. God is a fool and has no understanding. But when we do not consult his word. That's exactly what we are saying. When we do not live and breathe the words of God, we are saying to God, you have no understanding. I have no need for your wisdom. You did not make me and you are not smart. Why would we ever say something like that? And yet that's what our lives present before God. We are to learn the ways of God. And not seek to be masters over our lives. We are not in charge. We are not the master. We are not the potter. We are not in control. God is the creator. God is the maker who possesses all wisdom and knowledge. And thanks be to God, he revealed his wisdom right here that tells us what we need to do. And how can we not then turn... And get into it. We probably have the word of God easier. Than any people not only today. In countries around the world. But anybody historically. Easy access. I have a dozen different translations of it. In English. In my own office. How easy it is to access. And yet we keep the book closed. I will not read. Too hard. Don't want to understand. Do not want to learn the ways of God. Let me end with verses 17 through 24. What he does is he now describes the resolution. And what he does is he describes here's what God's people will look like. They don't look right now in Isaiah's day. He says judgment's coming upon them. Jerusalem is going to be surrounded. I'm going to do wonders so that you will turn your heart to me and that you will seek the glory of God. But he says, notice verse 18, in that day, all my students in here from Isaiah, big bell ring right there in that day. In that day, ah, something's coming. When the Messiah comes, when Christ comes, things are going to be different. And His people are going to be different. The people who follow under Christ, they're going to have a totally different attitude than what we've read up to this point. Notice what He describes that they will be. Verse 18, In that day the deaf shall hear the words of a book, and out of their gloom and darkness the eyes of the blind shall see. Now He's already told to us what it means to be Blind, it means they won't seek the words of God. He says, when the Christ comes, my people, they will seek the words of God. And they will not be blind. They will see, they will hear, and they will move out of the gloom and out of the darkness. God's true children, God's people, do not ignore His words. But they soak it up and passionately pursue it. And learn all that they can out of it Second He also tells us that they're no longer Going to blind themselves in terms Of their knowledge by Ignoring God's message But notice it as well that the whole Problem has been back there in verse 15 And 16 they think that they're Masters not God's people They will not Blind themselves into thinking That they're in charge They're going to recognize who their maker Is They're going to recognize who they are. We are the clay, and he is the potter. God's people will understand that. And by understanding that, verse 19, the meek shall obtain fresh joy in the Lord, and the poor among mankind shall exult in the Holy One of God. That's a great line. I wish I could do 15 minutes on that phrase right there. Let me just do 30 seconds. The people of God find joy after joy after joy in God. That's what that word's saying. ESV uses fresh joy. Trying to communicate you keep coming back to God, you get a whole renewed joy again. It is joy after joy after joy after joy. It's not a one-time joy. You keep receiving a refreshing of joy. Seeking God will bring joy to your life. Nothing else does. God's people understand that and they exult, they glorify, they rejoice, they find joy and gladness in God. verse 23For when he sees his children the work of my hands in his midst, they will sanctify my name, they will sanctify the Holy One of Jacob and will stand in awe of the glory of the God of Israel. My people, will not only not see themselves as masters, but they will see the joy of being the work of God's hands. Ephesians chapter 2, we are His workmanship. There's a picture of recognizing who we are, to recognize that we are in the hands of God. And we are being made by God, created by God for good works. We are created, created to seek Him, to follow Him, to pursue Him. That's what we're here for. God has put us here to glorify God and to bring glory to Him in all that we do. Here Isaiah says, My people, when Christ comes, they'll understand that and they'll do it. They will recognize they are the work of His hands and they will honor God and they will keep His name holy. Verse 23. That word sanctify, fancy word for holy. They're going to keep holy, the Holy One of God. They're going to recognize Him as holy. They will keep His name holy. Their lives will reflect that holiness. They will not continue in darkness and wickedness. They will change their lives to honor the Holy One of Israel. So how are we doing with all that? What a picture. As Isaiah condemns them for not seeking the Lord and says, here's what my true people will be. I'll end with you verse 24, a statement of hope. If you haven't been living the way that Isaiah has pictured, but instead you've been living in the darkness and rejecting the Word of God, listen to verse 24. And those who go astray in spirit will come to understanding. And those who murmur will accept instruction. It's not too late. We have all gone astray in our spirit, but we can come to understanding. We have complained and rebelled against the great God, the Holy and Gracious One. But you can still come to His instructions. He is calling for people to turn back to Him. Come to the Word of God. Turn away from the false wisdom of the world and see the joy and refreshing, the blessings that God will give if you will passionately seek Him. Don't let this be ritual and habit. Don't go to church, please. Be the church. Be the people of God who love Him and seek Him. And that love and pursuing, this becomes an outflow of that. That we will worship together and praise Him for the great things that He has done. Turn to His instruction now. Turn away from your sins and be immersed in water for the forgiveness of your sins if you have not done that. If you have done that, if you are a Christian, but you've fallen back, today is the day. Today is the day to put your life back with God. To seek Him with all of your heart. To passionately pursue Him. To taste and see that the Word of God is glorious and good. And it will change your life. It will give you what you're looking for if you'll just give it the chance. Repent today and turn back to God. Won't you come while we stand and while we sing?